we, we look at this text sometimes and in, in trying to see what it's talking about and who it's talking about basically uh, Jesus ran across a fellow who was casting out demons in his name or John did and uh, John was concerned about it because he said that we don't know this guy he's, he's not following with us he's not one of us sometimes we look at this you remember in the book of uh, Mark in chapter 10 Jesus had sent 70 men out in pairs to preach the kingdom and he, he gave each of these men the ability to cast out demons in his name however this fellow was, was uh, confronted before that took place so he was out casting out demons before Jesus sent the 70 out. So he may not have been one of the 70 that was out casting out demons. But he was someone who was doing the work of God in the sense that he had recognized the strength in the name of Jesus Christ. And he knew that there was a, an opposition to Jesus mounted by the devil. And so he was casting out devils in the name of Jesus. And it was working, apparently. And Jesus told his apostles, John and the rest, he said, leave this guy alone. He that's not against us is for us. And he said, and a, and a man cannot do a miracle lightly and take my name lightly. So, here was a man who was not against what Jesus was doing and saying and not against Jesus, he was for him. Uh, the reason I, I'm up here and not down there with you is because I want to use a blackboard. There are two factors involved here, and I'm going to reverse them, basically. The for and the against. I want you to know I've been looking for a marker, a, a wide marker, on of all places on the internet looking for a wide marker that I could use so that you could see this better and the only one I found was a uh, non-erasable one a permanent one that tells me something that tells me that I'm old school <laughs> people usually don't use whiteboards and markers anymore and be able to erase them so we can get plenty of the little ones but not, not any of the big ones this, this fellow was casting out devils in his name. He was not following Jesus and this group, but he had recognized that there was something special about Jesus. And he was trying to do what Jesus was doing because he knew it was a good thing to do. So here Jesus was saying, don't, don't discourage him. He said, as a matter of fact, he said, some people are going to get a reward just because they give a cup of cold water to my followers. That's what he said in this text. He said, Whosoever will give you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he won't lose his reward. Now that to me is, is extremely interesting. However, there's another text that we sometimes get jumbled up in here. You probably can think about it while I'm talking about it. Matthew chapter 12 at verse 30 Jesus said that, that you, you have to choose a side 
And in that context, he said, He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathers not with me scatters abroad. So he's actually talking about someone who is opposed to him and someone who is is refusing to align himself with him. So the person that was casting out demons in his name was not in that category. He was not someone antithetical to Jesus, nor was he someone who did did not want to have anything to do with Jesus. He was just someone who was trying to do the same thing that the followers of Jesus were doing because he thought it was a good work. He wasn't totally in, but he wasn't totally out either. It appears that uh, some, during the lifetime of Jesus, just like they are today, some uh, that were witnessing the good works in the name of Jesus were willing to help out in areas where they thought they could help. Apparently this fellow was one of them. And there are people like that among us today, isn't that true? That there are folks that believe that Jesus is doing some good things and sometimes they want to kind of help out, but not a lot. They don't want to get totally involved with Jesus, but they don't want to be uninvolved with Jesus either. So they're not for or against in a sense. They, uh, they're willing to... to uh, handle a cup of cold water but they're not willing to handle everything else that goes with it. They appear to appreciate what Jesus is doing and want to uh, want to participate on the periphery on the edges but not in the actual core of what he's doing. The same thing of course goes on now. The mere mention of the name of Jesus, we know that uh, Jesus improves everything that his name touches. We often wonder about that, don't we? I do at least. I think about the power of Jesus. I've talked about it in the last few weeks from this pulpit, about the fact that Jesus has overwhelmed the nations. Now, the way he's overwhelmed the nations is through his influence, through his teaching, through his name. There the, there is the the fact that cannot be denied by rational, reasonable, thinking people, and that is that wherever the name of Jesus and his doctrine and his word and his morals and his ethics are known and seen and appreciated, society improves. Society improves. We get better whenever one of our officials, for instance in our government refers back to the Bible and the principles that are taught in the Bible especially those taught in the New Testament by Jesus Christ it improves whatever government that he touches not that he's totally involved with Jesus but it's just that the, that the influence of Jesus has had an impact, impact upon his life now we know that's true we can look at nations today where the name of Jesus is not allowed to be spoken out loud and we can see immediately that there are some very evil effects going on in that country. We know that. We know that happened in North Korea. We know that happened in communist China. We know that happens in Russia at this point. We know there are countries where the name of Jesus is banned, sometimes in the area of, of Arabia, the Arabian nations, Iran and Iraq and places like that. We know where the name of Jesus 
if it's not allowed and the Word of God is not allowed to be preached, that people suffer. There are inhumane treatment, there's inhumane treatment going on on the populace. We know that. So we know that the impact of the name of Jesus and his influence has improved our living conditions. Everywhere his name has gone, it improves living conditions. Now that doesn't mean everybody's a Christian, but it means that he has permeated those societies and his influence has drawn people onto a higher plane of living, humanly possible, humanly speaking. Okay, we know that. Now Jesus has provided that impetus for moral and ethical Improvement of governments and monarchies. His standards are the highest and the most desirable. Without the influence of Christianity, nations sink into moral quagmire. They go down, not up. Without Jesus, this world would be all in a quagmire. It's foolhardy to ignore his ideals. The wise man said, obviously, that the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. When man becomes godless, then the nations suffer. People suffer. There are those then, along that same line, those who are against bring countries down. Those who are for, at least to some degree, for Jesus, improve. There are those who are totally committed to Jesus Christ, they're not on the fringes. They're, they're at the very heart of his kingdom. They've made life-changing decisions. They're not simply for good works and self-improvement. They are involved in good works and self-improvement. You see the difference? Somebody can say, well, I'm all for that. But they're not really involved in that. You follow? I'm all for high morals, but I'm not for... My morals being very high. I like, to, I like to sort of make my choice and make my decisions. I, I like to see what's good. and Maybe I can implaw, applaud it, but I'm not necessarily wanting to go all in on it. I don't want to commit myself totally to that. But it was Edmund Burke, who was a, a politician, if you want to call him that, in Great Britain, in the House of Commons, House of Lords. He was in that... that, uh, that context. He made the statement that evil triumphs when good men do nothing. Okay. Now, we have a situation. See, I left this space blank because this is a space where most people like to live, right here. They want to live right here. They want to say, well, I don't want to go this far and I don't want to go this far either. I want to stay right in here. I want, to, I want to denounce things that are evil and bad in our society. Matter of fact, I might even go on a protest against some things that I don't like. But I'm not necessarily for the things that God has written to us in the Bible, in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not entirely for Jesus. Well, yeah, I'm for Jesus, but I'm not, well, you know, I'm not really for Jesus in that sense. I'm not totally committed to Him. But I think he's good, and I think what he says is good, and I think his ideals are good, and his ethics are good. Well, those that I agree with. So you see what I'm talking about? 
we, we have a situation, and maybe that's what this fellow was involved in that was casting out the demons. He didn't like those demons. He casting them out in the name of Jesus. But I'm not sure he was totally for Jesus. Now, Jesus said, leave him alone. Maybe the guy will come around. We don't know. The, the, the situation is that when God created us, when he created Adam, he created us with a choice. We have a choice. I can either be good or I can be evil. Now, parents, your kids have the same responsibility as you do, as your grandparents did, as your neighbor has, as your grandchildren will have. They have the same responsibility. They have to make their own personal choice, as you do. We all have to make our own choice. God does not enforce us to change. He encourages us through self-willed choices. He places the decision upon our shoulders and He gives the responsibility to our conscience. We can either be for or against. And we can even be in between. Can't we? Well, every human being on earth has both the ability and the capacity to make a reasonable choice in the direction that we want to take through life. Every human being on earth has that responsibility. Jesus said it was marked by two paths. He said one path has a straight gate and a narrow way. Matthew 7, 13, 14. The other path has a wide gate and a broad way. You know, people have never been trampled to death trying to get into the kingdom of Christ. They've been trampled to death trying to get into a concert or to a music festival, or to a sporting event, but never trample death trying to get into the kingdom. When you get into the kingdom, the gate is so straight that it only allows one person at a time. Did you know that? You come in single file. One person at a time. Well, wouldn't it be nice if you saw people lined up to get into the kingdom like they lined up to get a COVID-19 test around the block? We want, we want something we want. Something we want something we want badly. To buy a ticket to a concert. A ticket to a new movie coming out. People line up everywhere. I remember one time, it wasn't too long ago, that uh, I, was, I was invited to go to a, a, a workout for the Seahawks in their camp. And so we, I, I, I accepted and said, okay, let's go. And I went with the fellow. I didn't know what to expect. When I got there, I, I did, still didn't know how to do it. But what was happening is that they were lining up way, way around this block, coming around to the other end of the block. It must have been, I don't know how big it was, but there were a lot of folks in line. And they were just lining up to go around to let people know that we were there to get in. That was, that was, that was a, kind of a stunning to me that people were willing to do that. Now then, to get into the kingdom, you have to get into a straight gate. For some reason, we don't line up to do that. He also said that we could find the way, not only is it straight, but he said, you can find it. It's not hidden. He said, seek, and you shall find. Ask, and it will be given unto you. So it's possible that we can find the gate. And it all depends on what we want to do. And what we want to do is make a choice. 
Do I want to go through that gate? Do I want to go on that narrow path? It's not a path that's been packed down by hundreds of thousands and millions of others. It's a path that's well-lighted and well-seen, obvious to us. We can, we can follow it. It's there. But it's there because Jesus is the light and He is the way and all we have to do is follow Him. He's our guide and we can get to where we're going to go. But we have to go in through the straight gate to get there. Now we know that God gave Adam and Eve a choice. He placed them in the Garden of Eden and He said, you can, you can eat all of this, all, uh, from all the fruit of all these trees, but there's one tree I don't want you eating from. And the, the choice was theirs. You wonder, well, why did God put that temptation in front of them? You know what? I don't know. But there it was. He gave them a choice. We know that at least, that we know at least this much. That he has given his creation free will. We can make a choice, make a decision, and it's on our shoulders, the responsibility. So we can say, yes, we will, or no, we won't. Adam and Eve decided they would not do it. So they made their choice. They went in the wrong way. In the book of Joshua in chapter 24, when, when Joshua brought the children of Israel out of, out of the wilderness, now Moses brought them out of Egyptian bondage, the children of Israel. They came with him to Mount Sinai, and for 40 years he led them through that wasteland and then brought them to the very edge of the promised land, the land that flows with milk and honey, and turned them over. God said, because you smote the rock with the rod, because you defied me, you can't go with, the, with them into the land of milk and honey. That would be a disappointment, wouldn't it? For 40 years he'd been leading them to that point, and then God said, but you can't go with them. You've got to stay behind. And he did. So he turned the reins, so to speak, or the leadership over to Joshua. He said, you take them. So Joshua got them on the edge and he, he, had, he gave them a big speech about who they were, what they were, what they should be doing and shouldn't be doing. And then he said, you've got a choice to make. If you believe in God, then make that decision. If not, then don't go. So basically he said it this way. If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. You can either go with us or stay behind. Go somewhere else. That's what he told them. He said, put away the gods that your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you'll serve, whether the God which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, he said, we will serve the Lord. So he made a choice. He said, and you make your choice. Now when Elijah was on Mount Carmel and he was in a contest with the, with the followers of Baal, or Baal, sometimes we call him, it was a false god, he said, why do you stagger between two opinions? If God be God, serve him. If Baal be God, serve him. Make a choice. Make a choice. You know, that's what we don't want to do. We don't want to make a choice. We want to kind of drift along. And maybe somebody else make the choice for us. Isn't that the way humanity is? Isn't that the way society is today? 
I really don't want to make a choice. I want somebody to choose for me. I want somebody to tell me what to do, how to do it. But I don't want that responsibility. The problem is, we have that responsibility. The checkered history of Israel, all during the time that we read about them in the Old Testament, was that they flopped back and forth, back and forth. They really didn't make the choice for God and stay with it. And they, they just went back and forth and, and really didn't, didn't commit themselves to Him. We are called, we are called today by the gospel. That's why it's important for us to get the gospel message out. To print Bibles and send them to places that have no Bibles so that people can understand and hear and read the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation either by teaching them personally or giving them the opportunity to read that book and make that to, to make that decision to follow Him because we're called by the Gospel. There are two requirements that are, that are here for us. When we read the Gospel of Christ, there are two choices we make, and they're very simple. They're very easy to understand. And they're stated in the Old Testament, and they're stated in the New. Two choices, two things that we have to do. The first is we have to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. That's the first one. Second one is to love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, that's what God is asking us to do. If you're for Jesus Christ, there's a simple choice, isn't it? Are you willing, do you want to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul? And to love your neighbor as yourself? That's what he's asking you to do when you make your choice. Either that or not. Not. And it's you can't flop in between. You can't you can't just just cruise along in the unmarked zone, in the zero zone, where you have nothing to do. James chapter two verse eight says if you feel, fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But in order to reach this point there's some decisions that have to be made. And first of all is, do we believe that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to die for our sins? That story has gone out. Whether we believe it or not, it's necessary because faith is that which pleases God. And if you're going to be for Jesus Christ, you have to believe in Him. When you hear the gospel, now, let's think about it quickly. Why do people not read their Bibles? Do you ever ask yourself that question? You know there's a Bible in every motel room in this country. Do you know that? And most of the doctors, or used to be, there's plenty of them around. There are Bibles in waiting rooms all over this country, all over this nation. Bibles have gone out. This is the most published book in the whole world. The Word of God. Why don't people, why, why don't I read it? Why did I not read it? Why did you not read it? I'll tell you why. Because you did not want to make a choice. You did not want to be brought face to face with the decision you have to make whether or not you're going to choose Jesus. That's it. That's the reason. People will not open that book and read it because they know when they get involved in that, they're going to have to come to some kind of decision. Now, it might be that after you read that book, you say, I don't want any 
want to have anything to do with it. But in order to make the choice, you have to be confronted with that book. You have to know what is there. And once I've discovered the truth, the next point is, the next step is, once I've discovered the truth in the gospel, am I willing to take the big step over on Jesus' side, or can I still drift around without really making any decision at all? The comfort zone exists between two recognizable rights and wrongs. That which is obviously wrong and that which is right, and that's, of course, what is taught in the Word of God opposed to what's being taught in society that opposes it. Between absolute right and absolute wrong. Generally, there are two major things that go on, and again, we're talking about what happens when people are confronted with having to make that decision. It's in the Bible, whatever the Bible says. And people don't go to church for that same reason, too. They don't want to show up. And if they go to church, they usually... Maybe I shouldn't say this. Sit in the back so they can get out quick before they have to make a decision. You know, when I was a kid, I used to avoid going to church because at that time, sometimes after the preacher finished preaching people would come down the aisle and try to get you to come forward. I'm sure if you're young enough, you never heard of that before. But that happened when when I was a kid, and that wasn't that much that long ago. They'd come down the come down and say, Bill, come on, you need to make the decision. Well I didn't want to go because I didn't want to make a decision. I did not want to be there and be embarrassed because I didn't want to make that decision. Okay. But once we're confronted with the truth, our society now, where we're living, confronted with the truth of whether or not we want to follow Jesus, there are a couple of decisions we have to make. A couple of considerations, I should say. Number one, we say, okay, if I make that decision, how much time is it going to involve? How much time am I going to have to give up in order to follow Jesus? Did you know that's one of the main considerations. I don't want to. I don't want to get that close because it may may involve too much time. And the next one is, how much money is it going to cost me? Those are the two major things that people think about when they think about committing their life to Jesus Christ. How much money will it cost me? These two considerations are peculiar to the people who have plenty of money and a lot of disposable time. Disposable income and disposable time. Poor people don't even think about those things. Did you know that? Busy people don't even think about that. People who have lots of money think about it. People that don't have much money don't think about it. Remember when Jesus was sitting outside the temple and he watched people come by and he watched the rich men throwing a lot of money into the treasury and the widow came by and she had what was called two mites or two pennies threw it all in she didn't have anything she just gave it all rich people are concerned about how much money it's going to cost if I give my life to Jesus Christ poor people don't think in those terms in this country that's what we think about because we are the richest nation on this earth even the poorest among us are richer by far three and four times than those third world countries. Those folks don't even think about that when, they're, when they think about following Jesus Christ. 
They don't think in terms of, well, if I follow Jesus, if I give my life to Jesus, how much money is it going to cost me? How much time is it going to take? Did you know that that the the people that we have this disposable time, we do. Other other nations don't have this, but we have disposable time. We have time on our hands. The busy person is a person who will find time to put Jesus in their life. The lazy person won't put him in their life because they don't want to commit the time. That's the craziest thing, isn't it? But that's really what's going on. Okay. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, What do I have to do to have eternal life? And Jesus didn't say, Well, you have to give up some time. He said, You have to give up some money. And the rich young ruler said, I can't do that. I've got too much, too much money. The rich man in Luke chapter 12, who had so many crops that he didn't have any place to store them, said, I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger barns and have a place. And Jesus said to him, You fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Who shall these things be? The rich are concerned about the money that they have to give. The poor don't. The poor aren't concerned about it. You ask a person, why don't you obey the gospel of Christ? The poor person is not going to say, well, how much is it going to cost me? The rich guy says, how much do you, do you suppose it's going to cost me? You see what I'm saying? Okay. The man who claimed he was going to follow Jesus Christ, then he begged off because he wanted to tend to family members. Family matters. The people that were invited to a banquet in Luke chapter 14... They were invited to a banquet. They said, oh, we can't come because we've got all these things to do. People that are busy do not consider the time element when it comes time to commit themselves to Jesus Christ. Now, what I want to tell you is this. The time spent with Jesus, I'm not even going to talk about money because Jesus said that's not part of it. He told he told the rich man, he said, he, and one of them asked him about it, along with this rich young ruler, he said, straight as the gate, he told him straight as the gate, he said, a rich man cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. It no more than a camel can go through the eye of a needle. So what he was saying was, this way into the kingdom of Jesus Christ is extremely narrow. You cannot come in as a rich man and bring all of your riches with you and keep thinking about those things and keeping that from you, from your from your life with Jesus Christ. It's a straight gate. And whatever pursuits we have, we have to focus those on Jesus Christ because it is a narrow way. Friendships, ethics and morals, family structures, examples of good and evil, good and decent things, basically I should say, all of these things can be found, all the good things that life has to offer can be found in Jesus Christ. But in order to get there, you have to go through a narrow gate, a straight gate to get there. You have to leave some things behind. And that's basically what he's talking about in terms of, of the rich man. When we, when we commit ourselves totally to Jesus Christ, when we say, okay, Lord, I'm not going to stagger between two. I'm not going to try to be in that comfort zone. I want to come into your kingdom. When 
you come into the kingdom, there are great advantages that you're going to have in that kingdom. And Jesus has made provisions for us so that when we come into the kingdom, we enjoy all the benefits of the kingdom. Now, before I go too much further, I, w- I want to mention this. That we're talking about being for Jesus Christ. We're talking about being baptized into Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. Coming into the kingdom. Washing all your sins away. Becoming part of the church, a community of believers, where good things happen. This morning when we came into this service, we heard good words. We sang good songs with good thoughts. We're with good people that have good morals and high ethics and, and high decent, decent concepts of life. We're, with, we're with, with people that we can share all these things that are proper and, and of great value. All of these are there for us. You can't have those just by being out here and hoping that you can, through osmosis, absorb them. You cannot absorb Jesus Christ like a plant absorbs the sun. You can't do that. You have to be in Jesus Christ in order to absorb the blessings of God and the things of God. And and you can't just stand here and say, okay, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really over here in the against column, but I'm not over here in the for column either. I'm just, I'm just sort of, I can make my choice back and forth without having to commit myself. So Jesus, Jesus said you can't do that. You have to be for me or against me. And, of course, when we're for him, that means that we have fully invested ourselves in him. I'm talking to people that have done that. Now, when you make a decision to follow Jesus Christ, and this is what I want to end this with. Let's say you, you decided, okay, I am no longer going to be just, just around, but I'm going to go all in with him. My choice, I choose Jesus. That's who I choose. I'm going to go through the straight gate, and I'm going to walk the narrow path, and I'm going to enjoy the things that heaven has provided for me. Because that's what it's all about, really. The, uh, the life that we choose with Jesus is the best choice you will ever make. It's the very best choice you'll ever make. It is a life, when you go through the straight gate, you leave behind your bad conscience. Did you know that? You have had your sins remitted. When you come through that narrow gate, you can't come through the gate with a sack full of evil deeds and bad conscience. You come through that gate with a clear conscience. You can sleep at night. You don't have to worry about consequences of the evil things that you've done. You were a bad person before. You're not a bad person anymore. Such were some of you, Paul told the church at Corinth. It is a life of honesty. It is a life of integrity. It is a life of all cost. You have to tell the truth and you have to be upright, but it's worth the effort because of who you will become. It's a life of virtue and of good character. You'll be around people that have good virtue and good character. You'll be raised above the norm in terms of character and virtue. You won't be like the common, ordinary individual that can go either way 
and can dabble their toes in sin and still think that they're not involved in it, you'll be above that, that realm. It's a life of continued improvement of your nature. You will improve day by day in Jesus Christ. You will get better. You will feel better. You'll get stronger. You'll feel stronger. Because you can't bring all these troubles with you into the kingdom. The narrow gate dictates against that. When you come into the kingdom, you have to leave those troubles behind. They're behind you. It's a life of faith. Not of faith in man who will disappoint you. And remember this. When you go to church and you're with people in the church and you look around you and you see someone who may not be as upright as they should be, you at least have the standard. You know what the standard is because you've seen the standard in Jesus Christ. You're at least able to identify the good person or the bad person. You know what a hypocrite looks like or what a genuine Christian looks like. But all that aside, understand this. Your faith is not in that person. Your faith is in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He's the one that's going to save you. He's the one that's going to cleanse you. He's the one that's going to walk with you. He's the one that's going to take up His residence in your life, in your heart. And He's the one that's going to be speaking to you in the middle of the night when you're wondering which way should you go and what decision should you make in your life. He's the one that will be there to help you make the right choices and to give you the right direction. It's not the person in the pew next to you or the person that you see that might be a hypocrite. Your faith cannot be in man. If your faith is in man, your faith is going to falter and fall with that individual. But Jesus will never falter. He will never fall. He will always be there, tall and strong and permanent and available for you if you make the right choice. If you come through that gate, if you walk the narrow way, because that's the path that Jesus is walking. It's a life of hope. It's the choice you make when you come into Jesus Christ. You come into a a wide open, glorious, wonderful, sunshiny life of hope. Not despair. Leave that despair behind. You can't bring that into the kingdom. You can't bring that, that bag of troubles with you. You can't do that. When you come into the kingdom, you come into, into a place that's bright and sunshiny. There's no clouds. The clouds have been dissipated. There's sunshine and love, and Jesus Christ is the sun and the light for us in the kingdom. We can see beyond the darkening clouds in our lives because of the hope that we have. It's a noble life and a good life. You'll never regret it. It's a life that has good effects upon others. And it's a life of security and inner peace. So, he that is not for me is against me, or he that is not against me is for me. So what I'm urging you to do is to make that good choice. You may have already made it. But I hope at this point that, oh, well, you've made the choice that you haven't regretted it. That you've maybe, like uh, Lot's wife, you remember when God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah? And he brought Lot and his wife out and his, his daughters out of Sodom and Gomorrah? And he told them, he told them all, he said, don't look back. 
don't look back on what's going on. He didn't tell them not to look back just so they didn't see the burning up of all that place. He, he actually was telling them, don't look back and regret that you're leaving. That's basically what he's saying. When you come into Jesus Christ, don't look back. Don't wish you had not done it. But if you do, if that's where you're at now, rethink. Rethink it. Walk the narrow way. Get back on the path and recognize that what God has given you is, in fact, life itself. Life itself. And it's yours for the taking. God help you do it. Let's stand together and sing that last song.